0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 113, Lucky 13, of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have two lady doctors who are going to help you keep your horses healthy. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen.
2: Greetings. Debbie, how are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I think you're going to enjoy, I think one of these episodes. You were not, you know what? I don't think you were in on either one of these no, when I this is going to be a first
2: time. Listen for me.
1: Yeah. You get to hear us talk to a couple of real brainiac ladies who not only love their horses, but they are really going to help us talk a little bit about how we should be feeding and taking care of our horses. I really like these interviews.
2: That's right. It's, it's fascinating mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm, I'm, I love to geek out on nutrition for Do you? I love it. I love to geek out on horse health. And Dr. Wendy being a co-host at the driving radio show, I get to geek out with her when she comes to visit. Yay. That's right. That's right. You guys live close to each other, don't you? Yes. She is uh, yeah. in Florida as well, a little bit south of us. Okay. And she lives down there and has a couple of horses that she has in her backyard, Her some of her retired competitive drive, driving horses. Mm-hmm. So we get to geek out together. I think she's, I feel bad too. You know how it is yeah. when there's when you're a vet. People ask you vet questions all the time. Yeah. I can't help myself. Well, I think they
1: need, feel needed that way, though, right? Well, yeah, let's go with that. Come on, and you're in the family. That's, so, let's go with that's that,
2: right? I hey, like I've
1: got it. this little thing on my elbow. Could you check it out? No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we all do that. We all do. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, Dr. Wendy, gosh, what a career, anyway, of, of across medical, you know, mm-hmm. right? She. Pets,
2: a breadth, worth, yes, a, a breadth of com- knowledge. Yes, eats,
1: you know, takes care of, and uh, it's in her family too. Her husband is a doctor of chiropractic. Is that yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So she's. I mean, she's got it all going, and um, and I, I really, I've never had her on the show before. And so I, we've been remiss, actually, <laughs> picking her brain oh, or yeah. her first knowledge. But I'm glad you get her all the time too, so you can you can listen in on that. So we really basically did an introduction, but um, I think people should listen to that, take in the breath of her, and then contact her if you have any questions because she's she is really willing, as you know.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. She she lo- she loves helping people help their horses. Absolutely. She yes. just that's what she yeah. does. That's why she does it. And she, that's why she went to school for four Jillian years. Yeah, exactly. As those doctors do. It
1: does she still have Duke with her? Duke, the she she won a yes. reserve national single ch- yeah. Yes. She does. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And uh and Juliet, a lot of people will know Juliet Getty, I think from Oh gosh, social media for sure. She puts out a great newsletter and, and I see her on there giving tips to people all the time and everything too. So this is like going to put a name and a voice to that face they see on social media all the time. Telling us, I know things we're not doing right for our horse. (laughs) There's all the, uh, I mean, I love, I love her um, book. It's called Feed Your Horse Like a Horse. Mm, I know it's a little duh, but We don't, do we? Sometimes we have things in our
2: pockets so we,
1: you know, or we talk about, um, you know, feeding the right things and then we buy the wrong things.
2: We feed it to them because they love it, not because it's good for them. Just like us.
1: Or a little extra, you know, if if this is, this much is good, a little more is better, right? Just Uh like us. Yeah? Do you have a little... Fatties sometimes, just, yeah, fatties.
2: just like you know, I, if if one peanut butter and jelly sandwich is good, then two. Peanut butter oh, ah, us, yeah, okay. I thought you were talking about your horses, but
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how are your horses looking? Svelte? Are you going to feel guilty during these um, interviews?
2: I'm liable to feel a little bit guilty. Okay. I I I was a bad horse owner over the winter. And we found some really lovely hay growing up in New York State over the winter that we fed our horses, and they loved it. It was lovely. Uh, second and third cutting orchard grass hay, and they cleaned it up, and everybody was happy. And it was great hay. And this spring, when I when I clipped Scooter, we clip him every spring because he gets hair like a woolly mammoth in the winter, even the, despite the fact that we live in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, come February fourteenth, I clipped him, and I was a little bit surprised because I thought there would be more hair and less pony. He <laughs> actually had a lot of pony and less hair. <laughs> <There>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's he's yeah, pretty rotund. He's rotund still. And that was what'd you say? February? February. And it's Okay. It's, yeah. And we're having a little trouble getting the getting the weight off of him. He doesn't get worked very hard and Glenn's not been able to drive him a lot this spring mm-hmm. because he's had some issue with his arm. So oh, he's yeah. not been getting his <laughs> usual amount of work. Mm-hmm. And I've been struggling with finding hay that he will both eat and is appropriate for ponies who are air ferns like he is. Yeah. There's that's yeah. a little struggle because air fern ponies and air fern horses for that matter should have hay that has a low sugar and starch content. Mm-hmm. Orchard grass is not one of those hays. Bad Jennifer. <laughs> Bad Jennifer. <laughs> High sugar. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we've we've gotten that ironed out and now we've got him on a we've got him on a weight watching program. So he watches and waits by the gate. Yes, he watches and waits by the gate. <laughs> the weight watcher. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good.
1: where <laughs> <Poor> guy. <laughs> You're starving me. <laughs> I, yes, oh, it's oh, it's
2: hard myself. to find the hay. More Nosh, less you know. Yeah, more Nosh, belly. less calories. In in yeah. California, do you is it a struggle for horsemen out there to find um, appropriate hay, or is is it pretty available? Oh, yeah. Is it grown locally? Oh, so,
1: yeah. No, you. Th- we're supposed to be the breadbasket of America, or something out here, right? No, nah, not so much anymore. We've had that that darn drought for so long out here that everybody's probably familiar with. Uh, there are areas way up in northern Cal that uh, don't look like Palm Springs, <laughs> the desert, but but it is so expensive, and we really have to reach to the western United States too and uh, and everybody's doing that so you can imagine it's difficult to to get exactly what you want and to get it healthy and good looking and also healthy for your horse too right, right? right. i yeah, mean there's there's,
2: there's the, the hay for us oh does that look good yeah, and
1: well, then there's the hay for them which is content driven and um, when you
2: when you live in areas like florida and and california which are not hay growing states 99.5% of what we feed our horses hay wise is imported here um, the the little bit of hay we do make in northern Florida is generally for cattle. Mm. Um, it's actually harder to feed easy keepers yeah. because farmers are not going to and and um, wholesalers are not going to bring in lower priced hay because the lower the price is, the lower the profit margin is, and they need to make a profit. They're running a business, so they're not going to bring in the hay that's uh, over mature. Or that's less popular because it doesn't sell as well and it doesn't sell as good a price. But that, if you've got a fat horse that needs mature hay or they need Timothy hay, which is expensive to make because it can only get you one or two cuttings. If you've got those ingredients in your horse's management, mm-hmm. it's a real challenge to find f- foodstuffs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But we're we're
2: obligated, aren't we? Otherwise, yeah. we get
1: our horses not looking so good or Nickel, a little. Yeah. This, yeah, a little, little fluffy. It's actually
2: <laughs> less stressful for me to feed a skinny horse than a fat horse. The the yeah. the thin ones, you, you go to the store, you get yourself some omega fields. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> And you yeah. And you give them good quality feed. Absolutely. You're going to be able to put weight on your horse. Whereas the thin one, he still has to eat to keep his guts healthy. So he doesn't have ulcers and other behavioral problems.
1: That's
2: right. It can be a real challenge to find stuff that's healthy for him. It's just like a person who has a low metabolism. It's a real challenge that's to right. stay healthy. Thanks.
1: Exactly right. The Mustangs, which we're really familiar with out here, they're definitely, as you say, air ferns or easy keepers. They, you know, have just been generationally uh, survived by being living on, you know. Dirt little and air threads, threads of stuff. Yeah, yeah. dirt and air, and uh, so yeah, we have to. And it's kind of it's tough when tourists come through and, and l- see the horses out in the sand pad. It's like, oh, wouldn't he be better off on it? Yeah, well, you know how big he'd be. Yeah, he would not <laughs> you be better find off. Space, you yeah. wouldn't see no air between belly and ground. Exactly. <laughs> short anyway, right? <laughs> So we have to be so careful, but he's, you know, like shy boy, our most famous Mustang on the farm is, uh, he's pushing 24, I think now. And he is, he really is a picture of health. He looks as good as some of those six year old Mustangs in the paddock with him. So it, it's, Carefully done though, and you know, and tourists sometimes go, Oh, I I fed him a little grass from this side. Oh he, I bet he loves you.
2: Yeah, I bet he does. <laughs> well you know, isn't isn't feeding so much like our training thoughts and our training processes with horses we want it to feel good, mm-hmm. not necessarily be fair and effective. It's it's a struggle for us because we're such emotional beings. That's it. Yeah,
1: it is. Plus they have big eyes
2: speaking of big, oh, soft eyes, we've yeah. got two guests with big, soft eyes and really yeah. smart brains. So really? uh, why don't we hear from our sponsor, and then we'll be back with our first guest. Your horse is your partner in sport, in leisure, and just in life. To keep him at his peak performance and optimal health, a solid nutritional foundation is key. Ideally, horses are able to graze fresh, growing grasses, which most closely mimic their natural diet. But that may not always be possible, and we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods. One component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega-3 fatty acids. While more prevalent in fresh forages, harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously, grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested, while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horseshine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horseshine from Omega Fields at your local Tack and Feed supplier, or you can find them online at omegafields.com.
1: Dr. Wendy Ying is host of the Driving Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. As well as one of the few competition female four-in-hand drivers in the world, and she's a veterinarian who practices traditional Chinese veterinary medicine and teaches at the Chi Institute. Wendy is a lifelong rider, starting in fox hunting in college and eventually in Ireland and England too. With her first pony, Lemon Tree Magic Illusion, she entered the carriage driving world in 1998. Wendy relocated to Florida, and in 2005 was named as the alter- alternate for the U.S. Pony Championship team and competed at Catten Hall in the UK. And in 2008, Duke and Wendy were named the USEF Reserve National Singles Champions. Wendy treats sport horses and pets alike. Well, welcome, Dr. Wendy Ying. I'm so excited to have you for the first time on Horsemanship Radio. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited because you are the host of The Driving Radio Show. We talked about that. And also a veterinarian who practices in traditional veterinary medicine as well as mm-hmm. traditional Chinese veterinary medicine. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But first, everybody wants to know your horse experience. Now, I've read your bio and people know a little bit about the the you know, timeline,
3: but that's yeah. about all we know. What did you love about horses that first got you started? Um, you know what? I started riding when I was so little that I don't remember because people have asked me that before. I don't remember not riding or not Um, loving horses or not loving horses. Um, Mm. you know, I started riding, we didn't have horses at home. Um, but I grew up in a town that was pretty rural. And so I went down to the local riding stable and, I think my first pony I rode was like this little pony named Red. That was a Shetland pony that was like super bratty, but very cute. And um, so I learned to ride on that. And then I, my mother not be, she wasn't a horse person, but she always wanted to be, you know, she grew up in the city and then we moved out to the country. So this is like classic what you don't do. She bought this pony. It was like a three-year-old Arab-Welsh cross that was unbroke. <laughs> oh, no. And she thought it would be great because we could grow up together. And right. I was like six. Yeah. So, of course, I got bucked off that pony every day. And I used to <laughs> stand outside the thing and, like, cry and look at it. God. And then, luckily, this girl at the barn, like, took pity on me, this teenager, and would just get on this pony Cause my mother would just take me down to the barn, you know, and say, okay, well, we have to get your pony ready for your lesson. But the pony wasn't trained. So this teenager was giving barn, the lesson. Oh, a teenager. Okay. Gotcha. No, no. There was like a, yeah, there was a trainer at the barn, but this was like, you know, backyard yeah. stable. So this kid at the barn used to get on my pony and, you know, make it behave. And then I could get on a ride. And <sighs> that, that was my first <laughs> pony. Wear them down a little bit. I'm always surprised how people stay
1: in horses, aren't you? (laughs) You know well that's how you know you love it because why would I keep doing that over and over again? See really exactly. Parents, are you listening? Get your (laughs) Get your little six year old tiny little girl a draft horse who will be quiet and old and ploddy and and (laughs) let them just ride the couch for a while, right? Yes.
3: Yes. (laughs) That would be
1: great. Yeah. I don't understand how many girls stay in it. But and you know, even dads are more confused by that than ever, I think, too. but, But but uh I I think that you're probably as much a cross-section story as anybody until it gets into your proficiency. I mean, you don't just become a writer, you become a cross-discipline writer. You started off in fox hunting. So tell us how you you made that transition.
3: Yeah. I, you know, I did some hunter jumper stuff and then I went to college in California. I went to San Jose State. Oh. And I was boarding at this farm and I was, you know, in my 20s and this group of riders used to fox hunt with the Los Altos hounds and they're like, "Oh, you got to come with us." And at the time, they were hunt they were hunting on Stanford University property. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, yeah, you know where the big telescope is on the side Ew. of 280? We yeah, used to hunt, yeah, we used to hunt that property, wow. and it was right near my barn. I could hack to the hunt. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to go hunting. This sounds fun. I had never been fox hunting, and so I took out this horse, and he was okay trail riding, but he was, you know, I had never really, you know, done much galloping outside the arena. This is my show hunter, and he was like oh, 17 yeah. hands, oh. and I took him out, and he must have been hunting before because like he heard the hounds and he had that full yeah. body shake. Oh wow. And um I we got out there and I was like, okay, it's like not going so good. He's a little nervous. And the <laughs> huntsman blew the horn and that horse reared up Gosh. and did like a 180 and then just took off cuz we were drag hunting, so it's yeah. fast. You know, you just hit the line and go. And we ran for like we must have run for like 15 minutes. And I couldn't stop. I was trying to, but like oh. there was no stopping. So I just like gave up. And we're running across this Hell field on. in California. This like all gopher holes, you know, all the gopher holes yeah. you have out there. Yeah. I was just like, I just closed my eyes. I and do. we got to the end. Do you know Mary Triscornia out there? I
1: don't know. Mary
3: Triscornia, she's an inventor, but no. she was our master at the time. And we got to the end of this run and we're at the top of that Stanford Hill with the the, the telescope and I'm like crying. This is my first time out hunting. I couldn't stop. I thought for sure I'd be killed, but luckily Mary stopped and the hounds stopped where the, the little, um, cookies were for them. And she's like, Oh good, Wendy, you did a great job keeping yeah. up. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God. She, she thought you like, were trying, huh? Yes, yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> but, um, so anyways, I ended up getting a different horse for hunting that ended up being really super. And I fell in love with fox hunting and I did that for a while. And then I, I uh, started driving and then uh, I did combine driving for maybe 10 years and uh, I loved it. It was so much fun. Yeah, that's a big switch though. I can imagine why you moved to
1: Florida flat as a pancake. Was that good for driving or was that was just a move to Florida?
3: No, that was good for driving, but also I, um, I, I was living in Virginia at the time and I really love Virginia uh, and I could hunt like every day of the week in Virginia. Yeah. But yeah. it was just too cold for me. And, you know, I as I got older, I realized, like, having horses, if you're in a cold area, especially being a horse vet, it's, very, it's mm. seasonal, yeah. right? Like, everybody was gone after Thanksgiving. That's it. Yeah. If their horses aren't, like, dying, you you have no calls from, like, <laughs> Thanksgiving to, you know, the middle of February. Yeah. So that's why a lot of horse vets go to Florida for the winter, you know, do other things. So okay. I thought... You know, I don't like to deal with cold, and I just decided to move to Florida.
1: I hear you. I I hate the cold. I don't know how people do it, but um, but Florida's a big change from Virginia. So so it worked completely for the horses and for you, and you won a world championship, uh, Well,
3: I didn't win a world championship, but I did compete for the United okay. States Equestrian Team uh, oh, with a right. pony at the Pony World Championships in England as an alternate. I was the alternate. Amazing. And that was very fun. And that was a stallion, a Welsh stallion that a friend of mine loaned to me. And his name was Minifred Megastar. And he actually is still standing in um, Colorado. He's oh, like wow. the super cutest pony ever. It sounds like a He's unicorn a... name, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> he is a unicorn. <laughs> he is a unicorn. <laughs> he,
1: has own,
3: he has his own briar. He does. Oh my God. He does. God. My when, when this friend of mine told me I could drive this pony, I was like, Really? Because I have been like stalking this pony my forever. I love this pony <laughs> He's a rock star. Yeah, so
1: well I love I love that you treat everything. You treat sport horses, you treat animals, you treat living beings. And you know, you're you're pretty learned in the human balance and health field as well. I'd love to hear, just because this is like our inaugural show here too, a little bit about what traditional Chinese veterinary medicine means because that's unique to our show. We've never had anybody talk about that on the show. And I know you're a trainer as well as a vet. So tell me how that, that life intersects.
3: Well, in, um, traditional Chinese medicine, both human medicine and veterinary medicine, we use a theory called the five element theory. And, um, if you're familiar with feng shui, that's the same thing is is five elements. So the five elements are fire, earth, metal, water, and wood. And so those elements interact with one another. So when I am diagnosing a case, I diagnose the animal's constitution. We call it their constitution. And there are different traits that let me know if it's a, you know, which element it is. And depending on those traits, um, Chinese medicine was developed, you know, way before we had diagnostics thousands right. and thousands of years ago. So it was a, it was pattern recognition. Okay. So what you're doing is you're kind of recognizing the, the major constitution of that animal or person and then different Type of people or animals will be more prone to different diseases. Like okay, so uh,
1: you approach a horse or an animal of any kind. mm
3: -hmm. What's
1: the first thing you do to assess that that horse before you even touch the horse? Maybe is that possible?
3: Yeah, and and this is something that that we all do. We just haven't classified it. But as a horse Mm -hmm. person, this is what you do. So you like say you're say you're on vacation, right? And you're going on a horse trail ride. Right. And you look at this string of horses. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, the one you want to ride, right? (laughs) It's true. You don't want this crabby mare standing there that's going to buck you off, or you don't want the like (laughs) super fat, lazy one that is going to be dragging Mm -hmm. his feet and you're going to be kicking and it's going to be wanting to go back to the barn. Right. Right. You want the like pretty happy one, or you want the one that knows his job. Yeah. Yeah. And and the reason why I'm not saying that there's a, there's not a fifth one is because the water horse who's scared of everything isn't gonna be at the trail stable. They don't even put him in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't <laughs> even put him in there. So okay. so that's what I'm saying. As a horse person, you already know what, right. wh- what personality. So the fire so are, you is just like,
1: described, yeah, you just described fire, earth, metal, and wood. You left out exactly. water. Okay. I left
3: it. out water. Got it. So the fire is like the diva, happy, pretty, the earth is the lazy one. Um, but they're super food motivated, right. and they can be fun. You know, uh, that's what I wish I had at Earth when I was growing up as a little kid. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the metal is one of my favorite ones as a trainer because the metal knows their job, and they're very happy doing their job. Once they learn their job, they're like perfect. The schoolmaster. Yeah. The water is a little bit fearful, and untrusting. But, you know, a balanced water, like a, ba- a water that you know how to handle, it can be very, very good. Um, and then the wood is kind of the they're very aggressive and athletic, but they can be crabby mm, and okay. they can try to boss you. So you have to be bossy mm-hmm. or you have to do everything the exact same way.
1: You know, I did a little bit of reading on the five elements just because I knew I was going to ask you this question. I didn't want to sound like a total idiot, <laughs> but I, the history of this goes so, like 3000 years back is what the first thing I read. And mm-hmm. I love that this, what you just described, these five elements and the healing process was passed on from father to son generationally, but mm-hmm. that if that father was hired by somebody to heal somebody they were only paid if they got that person healed <laughs> right or, or animal right and so it died with that family if you didn't heal anybody you didn't get paid so you right. it went away so that the best ones stayed in it um i thought that was just interesting about how proficient this must be over 3000 years.
3: Well, I'll tell you what I invent medicine. There's a lot of my clients that feel like if I didn't cure their animal, they don't want to pay either. (laughs) They can't get away with chopping off my head and not paying. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Well, we've given that up, you know, for traditional. (laughs) nonsense. But but
1: I also read that herbal formulas, uh, you know, some of them that you use today can be over 500 years old.
3: Oh yeah, many of the herbal formulas are are, are old old recipes. Um, one of my favorite herbal stories is actually about human medicine, and um, this uh, Chinese doctor, her name is Tu Yu, Yu, and she won the Nobel Prize for discovering a compound in Artemisia, which is a you know a plant. It's like a, a shrubby plant. that that grows in China and she isolated it and, um, made it show that it it could treat malaria. And that recipe that she was using was from 2,500 years ago, you know, it was from an ancient text. So sometimes we say, Oh, well, you know, that was just folk medicine. (laughs) You know, even my family, my father is, you know, was Chinese and my, my grandmother did a lot of Folk medicine, they call it, and all my cousins are are you know traditionally trained trained doctors, and they kind of look down on the the folk medicine. But those what they don't understand is that sometimes that the the stories that were passed down, we didn't know how to isolate the compounds in those plants at the time. But most of our drugs come from uh, plant isolates, so. Sure. Just because they didn't know how to isolate and put in a pill didn't mean it didn't work.
0: Yeah,
1: right. I mean, it has to come from the earth. So we're all here. There's only so many elements we can use. So one thing that you had said on one of your sites, I think, is that the body is balanced and it will keep itself well. I don't understand how that happens, but can you explain how you, you use that?
3: Oh yeah, well, um, besides the five elements, another thing we use in Chinese medicine is the yin and the yang. Okay. Right? So yin and the yang is like uh the balance between black and white and hot and cold. Mm-hmm. You know, the the opposites. Okay. So um like in the way we describe that in modern day medicine is he is uh we need to stay with homeostasis, right? That's the term that we use in traditional medicine, like Mm -hmm. everything's working, right? So so your immune system is strong so you can have somebody with the flu sneeze on you, but your immune system kills the flu before it makes you sick. So if your immune system is weak and somebody with the flu sneezes on you, you're gonna get sick. So that's how your body gets out of balance. Okay. Well, okay. That's how we get sick. I, I get that. But if we, so
1: let's apply it to horses too. Is there a way that you can keep a horse's health in balance so they're less likely to get sick? And that sounds so obvious, but tell me from your world and traditional
3: Oh yeah. Chinese- for horses, I would say like we all know the biggest stresses for horses are, you know, their, their lifestyle right? So horses would be much happier. For example, my horses are retired now, right? They love being in their paddock and eating hay. That's what they want to do. That's the number one thing they want to do. They don't want to get loaded up in the trailer and go (laughs) spend the weekend at, you know, competing, being pushed to their max. I'm having fun doing it, but they'd rather stay home and eat hay. Mm -hmm. So when they go on the road, they... Uh, you know, they don't get enough sleep. They don't get enough turnout. They don't, you know, they're on concentrated feeds because they have a high c- calorie demand. Mm-hmm. So that right there can put them out of balance because now they are prone to things like ulcers because of stress and travel and their are feeding. Uh, they're prone to body aches and pains because we're working them really hard. They're also exposed to different... Um, you know other horses coming from all different areas of the country and yeah. then um i i mean I, i'm not i'm not down and knocking supplements but when you're showing you kind of get on this you know you you want to supplement everything you want to do smart pack whatever the condition ultra for your horse <laughs> you know so as mm-hmm. we give them so many chemicals mm-hmm. so all those things can put the
1: body out of balance Okay. So in order to, I mean, now you just made an argument for leaving them in the pasture for the rest of their lives. So we want to go play with our horses. How do we, do we use natural ingredients? Then do we give them, you know, we give them omega threes because we know that that is actually a natural substance that can keep them in balance or what, what's your suggestion as a veterinarian? I
3: would say the number one thing to do is to, just make sure you step back from your horse and look at the big picture. Okay. Cause I think I've done this even, you know, with my own horses, I sometimes like sweat the small stuff and then you miss the big stuff. So like stand back or have your friend come and just look at them. Do they look stressed out? Are they too skinny? Do they, you know, are d- is their coat bad, but you keep feeding all these supplements and you can't get them, you know, to look good. So just make sure you reassess their wellness. And then also, um, natural foods are good, but the number one thing horses need is good quality hay. Okay. So in Florida is very, hay is super expensive down here. Mm Um, but, but the, having a diet of of mostly hay is really great for horses, for ulcers, for, you know, keeps them uh, busy chewing all day. You could do slow feed hay net or something like yeah. that. Okay. And then just be aware of their, um, you know, try to be aware of their aches and pains before it turns into an issue where you have to call the vet. We, I appreciate we, that.
1: Cause you really are putting yourself out of business. If everybody kept their horses really healthy. <laughs>
3: Well, no, see, I have a wellness practice, so
1: oh, that's good. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> and and your husband too is he is a, a chiropractic for horses mm-hmm. too, right? Yeah, people he's and horses.
3: A chiropractor for people and horses. And so that's kind of the mindset that we need to get into with our horses when you when you want to keep them healthy for a long time and competing and doing stuff is if you say you go out and you push them a little hard one day, like you rode them a little too far on the trail and you didn't, you knew they weren't fit enough to do it, but you know, anyways, it happens. We all do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So then maybe you give them a couple days rest. Maybe you give them a massage, you know, cause th- there's a lot of massage techniques you can do as the owner that can help them a lot. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you give them some natural anti-inflammatories. You know, maybe a herbal formula, or you mentioned the omega three fatty acids. Uh, chia seeds are really good for horses, and then horses are pretty good at healing themselves. But if you keep pushing them harder and harder with a with an injury, you know, say they have strained their suspensory, mm-hmm. right? And that can show up as very minor lameness. But if you keep pushing and keep pushing Mm -hmm. and keep pushing, it's going to turn into a big issue. And now you're going to have to be like, you know, three to six months of rest. Right. Yeah. So if you just do a little bit at a time. Yeah.
4: Perspective.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So I hear you saying balance. I hear you saying perspective, like have somebody come in and see who hasn't seen your horse for a month or something and ask, you know, am I making progress or am I not? Keep a wellness program going if you don't live near Dr. Wendy Ying, um find a practice that you can yeah. keep your horse well with and uh and and do keep your hands on your horse uh your your husband Kyle Swanson is a a DC but if you've got somebody nearby or if you can figure out hey go on YouTube you get no I don't know if that's a good thing yeah. to say, but but you know no. massaging your horse uh in those places where he can get aches and pains, I think it's a, is a good thing.
3: And, and you know, you don't need a traditional Chinese veterinary medicine vet Mm -hmm. to do a wellness exam. Your vet, your equine vet you have now would love you to call them for a a wellness exam. Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't have to involve ultrasound and x-ray. But right. they would they can come out, they can look them over. I mean, it's worth it to pay for a visit, a wellness it's a visit. Really good idea. Mm-hmm. Rather than just have them come out once a year for teeth, coggins, and shots.
1: Yeah. Yeah, let your, your vet get to know your horse too mm-hmm. and how you live the rhythms of your seasons if you're showing and things like that too, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Wendy Ying. How do people get a hold of you if they want to ask you questions or know more about your practice?
3: Well, I have a website called, it's www.drwendyying.com. That's com, And I have a blog there. And then also I am on the Horse Radio Network. On I have the driving radio show and we have a traditional Chinese medicine segment there, so you can reach me through that, too. Well, thank you. And on Facebook.
1: And Facebook, too. Good. Yeah, and she's got such a pretty hat in all her photos. You'll have to see that. Go
3: on. (laughs) Well, you know, that's why we drive.
1: (laughs) That's why you drive. You put that hat on. So, And I'm going to post, if I can, the, um, the element chart, too, so people get a little idea of what we were talking about here, too. Thank you, Dr. Wendy. I appreciate you being on the show.
4: All right. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's fun having you on Horsemanship Radio. Hi, Carol Herder here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting. Some are stories of challenges, and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths, waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out, relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his Cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to Cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots.
1: Dr. Juliette Getty is an independent equine nutritionist with a wide U.S. and international following. Her research-based approach optimizes equine health by aligning physiology and instincts with correct feeding and nutrition practices, too. Dr. Getty's goal is to empower the horse person with the knowledge to provide the best nutrition for his or her horse's needs. Dr. Getty is an author of the comprehensive resource, A lot of you have heard of this, Feed Your Horse Like a Horse, as well as the seven-topic-centered spotlight on equine nutrition series of booklets that she's written. She also offers an informative e-newsletter, Forage for Thought, and her website, GettyEquineNutrition.com, provides a world of useful information for the horse person. Well, welcome, Dr. Juliet Getty. I'm so happy to have you on the show, finally. Well, thank you, Debbie. It is a real pleasure
0: to be here. Thank you.
1: My honor. You have been in the business a long time. Now, where are you calling from? Are you in Texas now?
0: I am. Been around, lived in several different places, but I'm now back in Texas to be near my kids. Ah, oh, that's a so, good idea.
1: Yeah. It's about time yeah. they start serving us, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. It's the
0: grandkids, I bet. I bet it's It the is. It is. The Texas heat is difficult, but definitely worth it to be near them, for sure. Yeah,
1: very nice. And did you grow up with horses, Dr. Getty?
0: Actually, I did not. I'm a city girl. I grew up in New York City. I didn't know wow. where milk came from. I <laughs> was just... Uh, so, but... Um, Later on in life, when I moved to Texas and uh, started to appreciate being out west, and then, of course, my education was in animal nutrition, and I became a horse owner myself, and that's when it all began.
1: Ah, what was your first horse? Quarter horse, breed?
0: Uh, Actually, she was a polo pony. She was an appendix Mm -hmm. and quite spirited, and when I got her, she was starting to lose her sight in one eye. So she became quite a challenge. So it was definitely a learning experience for me. Oh, bless your heart. Were you a vet at that point then? Well, I'm not a veterinarian. Oh, I'm a, sorry. I'm a, yeah. That's okay. Um, I am um, a team member. I consider myself for any horse owner since veterinarians are medical professionals and they don't have much knowledge when it comes to nutrition since because, because yeah. they don't take courses in vet school. They're not required. Most of them are not required to take any courses unless they choose to as an elective. And they're pretty busy when they get out of school unless they choose to go on and further their education. Whereas I am a PhD. My, my masters and my PhD are both in animal nutrition. And so I have a great deal of concentration and study in that area. And so between myself and a qualified veterinarian, Mm -hmm. we make a good team to help horse owners make their horses healthier. Yes, you do. And you've been doing
1: this a long time. So how long? I have. Yeah.
0: Well, it's been over 25 years um, since I started doing this uh, professionally. And I haven't looked back. I used to teach comparative nutrition where I talked about nutrition for people dogs, cats, guinea pigs, birds, and horses. And then I started to concentrate just on horses when I retired just because – they're fascinating, and you fall in love, and there's just no going back. Yeah,
1: I agree. You're hooked. Uh, you know, it's yes. that that 12 year old girl final finally manifested in there, right? The one, oh, yes,
0: <laughs> absolutely,
4: absolutely. Sure.
1: My dad always says he if uh, if he believed in reincarnation, which he
0: doesn't, but if he
1: did, he <laughs> said he'd want to come back as a as a horse owned by a 12 year old girl.
0: That's the best. <laughs> yes, yes, that would be lovely. Well, sure. I read
1: your newsletter. I love your I love your ride I love your work. I have no idea how you ended up with horses, given that you grew, <laughs> you were born in New York City. But I love that you did because you've been a super uh, advocate for horses and and uh, and a better lifestyle. I actually, what prompted this interview was I read a, a, a wonderful article that you had done about a science trial done in Poland, and I just thought I love this lady. It, oh. it was it was uh, about researchers set out to determine. I'm looking it over here now the effect of music played in at the barn on the emotional state of racehorses. Don't we all picture those stressed out poor thoroughbreds, you know, at the track, right?
0: Yes. Yes. I think their lives are particularly stressful and music in this particular study, it struck my eye because I'm, I know the um, composer of the music that they used in the study. her name is Janet Marlowe uh, she is her company is called Pet Acoustics mm-hmm. and she develops music to help horses and uh, dogs and cats and I have used her music on my own horses and found it to be very effective so when I saw this particular study, I really connected to it but what really really made me think uh, this was worth delving into further is the fact that they were lowering the stress level of the horse and I'm all about lowering stress Mm -hmm. since that is a major um, health problem frankly with horses and affects their uh, daily lives but and their performance but also their overall health in a vast variety of ways Mm -hmm. and and
1: (coughs) do you think that's that's not just uh, a flight animal thing that you think that we maybe compound the problem a little bit by the environment we, we put them in, but it is a noted thing that a flight animal is a survival mechanism is a, a bit of their adrenaline level and their cortisol levels coming up uh, to. Sure. Yeah. Right. So we're sort that's, of fighting that anyway. Right.
0: Well, sure. I mean, that's, that's the way they're designed. They're designed to flee uh, at a moment's notice and so when their stress is elevated, their cortisol level goes up, which is that fight or flight hormone mm-hmm. that tells them to flee or stick around and fight, and horses never stick around to fight. <laughs> so when they're confined, for example, when a lot of horses live in uh, barns and stalls, this can this can become an issue uh, for them. But I have found actually the most powerful stressor that horses experience is the restriction of forage. In other words, not allowing them to have a steady flow of forage all day long. Mm-hmm. This goes against their instinctive behavior since horses are grazing animals. Mm-hmm. And in a wild situation, they have access to all types of, of uh, forages, plants, seeds, flowers, you name it. And in a domesticated situation, we often feed them more like dogs or people giving them a few flakes of hay every few hours where they may go for two or more hours with nothing to eat. Mm -hmm. And that is particularly stressful, not only leading to digestive issues like ulcers and colic, but also um, creates a hormonal response that makes it difficult for them to lose weight if they're overweight or can inflame their brains so that they can develop Cushing's disease down the road Mm -hmm. and even have more inflammation that affects every part of their body, including their feet, their joints, their eyes, Mm -hmm. their skin. The list is endless, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just all those effects.
1: So, yeah, we don't want to do that, right? I mean, we love our horses and we we, we want to take care of them, but we don't always know how. So now you've just... uh, touched on one thing, the confinement. Uh, what What about when it's wintertime and there's 12 feet of snow out there and <laughs> there, there's not much choice That's, on that confinement, right? Yeah.
0: Well, 12 feet is quite a lot. That is not, a lot. Not yeah. very <laughs> many of us have 12 feet at one time though. When we lived in Colorado, we certainly experienced that and that, yeah. those were tough days. Yeah. Um, but if the horse has to be in a stall due to weather, then you need to make sure that they have forage available um, 24/7. So that this can be accomplished simply by putting hay on the ground. Um, that though there's more waste when you do that, since they pee and poop all over it. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, you can also use a variety of feeders that allow them to graze, quote unquote, slowly, mm-hmm. and so that they can. They can relax because when horses have forage available 24 hours a day, every minute of the day, they don't eat all of that during all of that time. They relax. They walk away. They take a nap. They chat with a friend. And so in other words, they just are calm and easygoing about it. And when they see that they can go back and return to their feeder, and the hay is still there, something really magical happens. Mm. They start to self-regulate, and they start to eat only what their bodies need, and their weight becomes normalized, their body condition becomes healthy, and they become better behaved, too. It's remarkable to see how horses become who they're meant to be. They're not um, irritated. They're not... Uh, spooky. They they seem to be more attentive. They're more affectionate. Just become better.
1: Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you
0: said, it does affect the hormones too. So somebody might feel sure. like their mare is hormonal, and it actually might be a feeding issue. Well, it, it certainly can. Mm-hmm. It certainly can. Most behavioral problems are or uh, stem from poor eating uh, poor eating mm-hmm. uh, habits. In other words, if the horse is, say, two hours or more without anything to eat, the horse is likely in pain. Certainly the horse is stressed because that goes against the way the horse naturally eats. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we, if we truly want to allow our horses to be who they are, we need to do our best to simulate how they would be in a natural, wild setting. Now, obviously, we're not going to let them out in the wild, but we can do things while even in confined to a stall that simulate this grazing um, need for them. And the hormones that come into play when we don't follow that make them not only irritable, but can induce inflammation that can affect their body so that they are in pain. And in particular, I mentioned uh, digestive disorders. Mm -hmm. Ulcers are the number one um, result of restricting forage. The reason for this is something that I think very few people really uh, are aware of. And that is that the horse's stomach is not at all like our own or like your dogs or your cats. When, For example, when, when we sit down to eat a meal, we are, our stomachs produce acid, and this starts the digestion of protein. It's very important that the acid is there. And then once we stop eating, the acid secretion also stops, so we're comfortable. Mm-hmm. But a horse's stomach produces acid 24 hours a day, every minute of the day. So why is that? That because the horse is designed to chew mm-hmm. all the time. Chewing produces saliva, which is a natural antacid. So it it neutralizes the existing acid that's in the stomach. Otherwise, that acid can erode a hole in the stomach lining, mm-hmm. particularly the uh, upper portion of the stomach, which does not have a protective mucus lining in it, like our stomachs do. Mm-hmm. So this is a real problem. This is a great story. You have a you've written. Feed
1: your horse like a horse, which I love. It, it, like we are always saying on this show, a horse is a horse. You know, don't confuse the behaviors of a horse with breeds or anything too specifically, because the natural language of horses is pretty much the same the world over. This is one thing that we've been privy to observe is that there's maybe a little predatorial differences depending on their predatorial environment, but basically horses uh, react and are raised up. They socialize in the Mm -hmm. same language. And I think it's probably because uh, their flight mechanism is a survival passed through the generations. It's a f- survival of the fittest uh, mechanism that's happening, and, and you see a lot of similarities in the the other flight deer, gazelles. All those right. two seem to have sure. the same lingo too. And mm-hmm. and I love that you are really trying to teach people to feed your horse like a horse. So that I want to get into that a little bit then too. Sure. So how. If if we we live in the middle of London, let's say somebody from London <laughs> might be listening to this at some point, and yes. you see, you know, sometimes you turn a corner and you see horse heads sticking out from little stalls right in the middle of the town, right? And, uh-huh. and uh and they, I know they get them out, and and England has been a wonderful example, I think, of taking good care of horses. Scandinavia too, I can I can name. Generalize and name some areas that are good at that. But how, how do they keep their horses healthy? Is it, is there something on the horizon that those of us who have a very little bit of land to put our horses on can start maybe they've never heard of? Give us some tips on maybe things that are people are doing innovative wise, you know, the, the innovations that they're making that way.
0: Well. Certainly, the ideal situation is to allow the horse to get out of the stall as much as is possible. So that the vast variety of boarding facilities do have some land where they can allow the horse uh, some grazing time uh, during the day. Some horses, some uh, boarding facilities that um, actually let their horses out at night, um, so that uh, they're more comfortable, especially during the summer when it's very hot during the day. Um, So. Think about the ideal circumstance, the horse grazing on land 24-7, and then back up from there and see what you can do to reach that as much as possible. So if there is um, land where you board, talk to the barn manager about allowing your horse to have more grazing time. The more, the better. And then during the times when the horse is in the stall, he should have some access to the horses that are next to him. Horses need to be able to touch each other. Mm-hmm. So, um, modifying the barn, for example, to where the horses can um, reach over on the other side and nuzzle with another horse is also another another benefit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I've heard of people putting mirrors in stalls, but <clears throat> I, think, I think horses find those frustrating more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Allowing physical contact with other horses is uh, comforting because horses need to feel protected. Because they are flight animals, for example, even if you have just a herd of two horses, you'll often find that one stands guard while the other Mm. one lies completely prone and takes a nap. Mm. Horses do need to have some time where they are completely lying flat to sleep. Most of the time, they're sleep standing up because they need to be able to flee at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. But if they don't lie down for about 20 minutes every day, then they become sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. And without a companion to provide that protection, the sleep deprivation can manifest itself as, as stress disorders. And I see this quite a lot with horses that are confined to stalls and do not feel comfortable enough to lie down and take a deep nap. Oh, that's a great comment. I'm so glad
1: you put that out there too. Um because people, I think people feel that instinctively that love their horses that they plus it's an excuse to have two. But yeah. <laughs> but you yeah. know, traveling together anytime you can even in the training situations, if you can put two horses together, I think that is a mm-hmm. it's a it's a lean on each other. But I I've never heard it put so succinctly about even sleep deprivation too. So that's that's a wonderful yes. tip. Yeah. What about boredom busters in the stall? Hanging balls and
0: oh, there's like, all kinds of things. I mean, you the the toy section and some of the catalogs I, is really I amazing. Know. I suppose that they're helpful. Anything, I mean, it can't get boring, mm-hmm. but if the horse does have access to hay all the time, then that will relieve um, not just boredom, but also the discomfort and stress that the horse feels. So that's important that the, the hay does not run out, whether you have a hay net or a, mm-hmm. a, a, a feeding system that sits on the ground in a tub that has Mm -hmm. slow feeding uh, mechanisms. I won't mention any brand names. If anyone's interested, I'll be happy to offer some suggestions.
1: I'm going to ask ask you offline then because my producer – Jen is uh, a hay net like collector. (laughs) She's always, (laughs) she's always in search of the perfect hay net. (laughs) She even makes her own sometimes with duct tape.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: (laughs) yeah, no, but I think those are good and I think they're getting better and people are starting to try to figure out. So feeding from the ground is a ideal because I'm
0: picturing your natural horse out there. Right. Um, I was just going to address that issue. Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh yeah, Please go ahead.
0: Well, hay nets. That's what I mean. Since we, since I brought it up. Mm Um, most of the time, hay nets are hung on a fence post or on a nail right. or in the, in the stall or something like that. Um, <clears throat> but, um, it requires that the horse eat in an unnatural position. The horse has to twist his head, um, to, to get hold of the hay. And that can become painful over time, mm. you know, or we might see changes in their jaw and in their bite and, so they they experience um, physical changes that can be overall damaging in mm-hmm. time. The best way to feed a horse is off the ground. So um, you could put a hay net um, on the ground or tether it to the wall in some fashion um, so that they don't have to twist their heads. But um, if they if they have shoes, this becomes an mm-hmm. issue because mm-hmm. they can get caught. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so there are um other systems that feed horses at a high enough level so that they're not likely to put their foot up that high to get it caught in the system. Okay,
1: gotcha. So there might be a little algorithm there that we can figure out that yeah. <laughs> keeps them out <laughs> of trouble. Yeah. Horses do have fine do help find ways to uh, get themselves in trouble. Uh, So so I I thought maybe we just have a few more minutes, but I'd love to do kind of a lightning round tips for you. I have a couple of questions that I thought I'd just throw at you too. Sure. Uh, Not too big surprises, but, um, but that (laughs) if you had quick answers for, you've done this a long time. So tips like hay before grain or the other way around.
0: Oh, I just wrote an article on this particular subject. So thank you for bringing it up. The hay, as I already mentioned, really, it's really a moot point, frankly, because the hay should be involved, should be in the digestive tract at all times anyway. So, so that would be the best way to feed regardless. However, um, if you feed grain on an empty stomach, then that grain is going to uh, leave the, the stomach very quickly and enter the small intestine where supposedly it gets digested. And then, if there's some left over, which is very likely to happen if you feed it on an empty stomach, it'll end up in the hind gut, where the microbial the microbial population that live there will ferment it, and that can lead to something called secal acidosis, which is where the hind gut becomes acidic, and that can potentially lead to laminitis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so to protect the horse against this, there should be some hay in the stomach first. So okay. the answer to the question, feed the hay first.
1: Okay, perfect. Okay, treats. What's your opinion on that? Yes or no? Are there healthy ones? Or uh, what are the no-nos? And
0: Well, um, uh, treats, I mean, I'm not going to get into the behavioral aspects of it. There are different ways to give treats to, to be safe and to teach your horses um, um, you know, that you have to have your space. Mm-hmm. But in terms of nutrition, Um, There are lots of treats that are very, very good, and I have quite a few on my website that are low in sugar and starch for horses that are overweight, for horses that have insulin resistance or Cushing's uh, disease. So um, some treats are more nutritious than others. I like to stay away from those that are chock full of cereal grains and molasses. You're not doing your horse any favor with that.
1: Just like your kids. That's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what are the major contributors to obesity and in all their bad side effects?
0: Well, I bet you're expecting me to say that we're overfeeding our horses. <laughs> I suppose that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and that we're not exercising them enough, right right, right? right. That's true. But But the major contributor to obesity is stress. There and we go. know this. With this, there's been thousands of studies done with human beings that stress prevents weight loss. And the reason is, is because of the um, hormone cortisol. When cortisol rises, insulin rises. And when insulin rises, that tells the body to store fat. So the first thing you have to do in helping a horse lose weight is get rid of the stress. And as I mentioned, forage restriction is incredibly stressful. So test your hay to make sure that it's low in sugar and starch, and then allow your horse to have access to it 24-7. At first, he will overeat. But once he gets the message that it's always there, he will start to calm down and eat less. That's her. the best right.
1: way. That's good. I really wanted to bring that, that easy keeper syndrome in there about horses yeah. on survival mode too. Last thing, what's the, what's the one advice that you give most often to people?
0: Well, you probably already guessed it, and that is to allow a horse to be a horse. Okay, but, that's a good but, one. That's true.
1: <laughs> but by, what does that mean? I mean, kidding. specifically kind of what do you run into a lot and you find yourself sort of helping people with a lot?
0: Um I run into a lot two things obesity um that leads to laminitis and uh ulcers mm-hmm. both of these both of these are so preventable also horses in the wild do not get fat and they don't get ulcers
3: mm-hmm.
0: this is these are conditions that are um developed because of our uh way of treating horses and our way of feeding horses and housing horses and so unfortunately it's it's a it's a man-made or a woman-made disorder uh both of these are and so the first approach is to make sure that they are fed like i say in sync with the way they are designed to be fed that's the best way to show respect for your horse and then you can um treat inflammation through a diet that is high in uh, anti-inflammatory antioxidants or i use various herbs and um Preparations for the stomach lining to heal if there's ulcers involved. So those are the two areas that I find I'm working with most frequently. Great. Okay.
1: Well, I hope people will go check out your site. So that website again is?
0: It's uh, www.getteequinenutrition.com. And from there, you can get to my library, information about consultations. I also have a um, store where, I, where there's supplements that I recommend. And really, quite a wealth of information there, much of it free of charge.
1: That's wonderful. It's a huge resource. People should take advantage of it. If any of this is concerning you at all about your horse, please look up Dr. Getty and follow her newsletter. I just, I love your... Your Forage newsletter. Forage for Thought.
0: Forage for Thought. And they can sign up on the website as well. Perfect. Perfect, Dr. Getty. Thank you so much for joining us on Horsemanship Radio today. We'll have you back. This has been a true delight. Thank you so much. My fun. Thank you.
4: Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word.
2: It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox. And share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call "Ask Monty."
4: Leave this world a better place. The magic in the language
2: of the horsemanship. Radio producer Jen here again, and I am pinch hitting for Jamie while she's out in Big Sky Country training some beautiful Frisian horses. Tough gig, eh? Here's our question: Why do we mount from the left side? Is it merely tradition, or does it to do with the horse's physiology? Monty's answer. The fact that we mount on the left side dates back in history to a time when horses were ridden primarily to go to war. Soldiers were equipped with sabers routinely attached to the left leg. The right-handed trooper would draw his saber across his body with the right hand. If you attempted to mount from the right side, you would have to use your left foot in the stirrup. This meant that your left leg was obliged to swing over the horse's back with a saber on that side. This would be awkward and even dangerous. The officers trained young recruits to get on their horses with their saber, rifle, and pack. This required a uniform set of regulations, and since most of the troops were right-handed, the left side of the horse was chosen for mounting. Thus, it became known as the near side, and the other side as the off side. Through the centuries, it became a habit of all people who worked with horses to work from the left side. Most people working with driving horses would work from the near side because the harness was geared to be buckled from the near side. The bridle and head stall were also geared to buckle from the near side. Horses were habitually worked from birth from the near side, so most horses respond better from that side. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to
1: www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says Get Free Horse Tips.
2: Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English,
4: the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week.
2: It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University
3: at MontyRoberts.com.
0: What in the wide, wide world of sports is
4: going on here?
3: Where in the
0: world is Monty Roberts?
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, on May 25 to 27. Coming right up is a Horse Sense and Healing that's in Solvang, California. And then on July 23 through August 3, we have a Gentling Wild Horse course at Flag Is Up. And then August 6 through 10, we have the annual Monty's Special Training at Flag Is Up. Shortly after that, we're going to have one in Portuguese for all our Brazilian friends too. So look for that link
2: and despite the fact that that list was short, you probably didn't put it into your memory banks. And you can find it all and so much more at Monty Roberts.com. Or you can call Flag Is Up Farms. You can call Flag Is Up Farms at 805 688 6288. And for information and pics, et cetera, about this episode, you can go to horsemanshipradio.com where you'll find links and pictures and all the cool stuff. And we love your feedback, it helps us make this show more interesting and more fun. Follow Monty on Facebook by typing in Monty Roberts and clicking on the one with the little blue official check mark, or you can follow him on Twitter. His handle is Monty underscore Roberts. And get the app. Don't miss any shows on the Horse Radio Network. Just go to your app store and search for Horse Radio Network for your Android or your iPhone. It's free and easy to use, or you can subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcatcher.
1: That's right. And many thanks to our sponsors, too. That's Omega Fields, Cavallo Horse and Rider, and Monty Roberts University. That's Equus Online University. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.